This morning I went on to bunnings.com.au, the Bunnings website, went on there this morning, making a list, checking it twice, and, uh, and uh, it's good, I love Bunnings. Um, not for the reasons you'd think, by the way, you think I love them because, uh, you know, if they, you'll find it cheaper elsewhere, they'll beat it by 10%. That's not the reason I love Bunnings, although that's one of the reasons I like Bunnings. Actually, one of the reasons, no, not the tool section, because I don't know how any of them work. Um, that's why I have friends like you, Stewie. And, uh, Actually, the reason I like Bunnings, or love Bunnings actually, is because actually here as Elevate Church, we have the highest per capita number of Bunnings employees in a church of any church in Australia. And that's actually a verifiable fact. Um, and, and, and I celebrate that, by the way, because that's happening because there's a few key Bunnings, uh, they call them team members, as do we, uh, team members who are investing and inviting into their, in their, their unchurched colleagues. And some of their unchurched colleagues, shocker, are saying yes on occasions to said invites. And uh, I love that. But anyways, on their website this morning, um, and their homepage says, uh, big banner, prepare for Easter. Now, if you're a DIY enthusiast, that, that means something. If you're a follower of Jesus, that should also mean something, but means something very different. You're not preparing for a staycation where you're gonna check off your list of DIY projects, but preparing your heart for the hopefully fresh revelation of what it meant for Jesus to come to this earth, to die in your place and my place, to take on yours and my sins so that we could be forgiven and that He died so that we'd never have to, that He showed His love for us by doing that, but also showed His power that death wasn't the end, but in fact, He begun again and, and showed us that we have the same power to begin again. And so Christians around the planet in the hundreds of millions are, are in a season of what in the church calendar is called Lent. You may not have grown up in, in, in a church setting. That's cool. This is breaking news. There's a period called Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter, where, where really, uh, we, followers of Jesus, are encouraged to drill into, to, to consider, to open our hearts, to say to God, you know, I know this story. Jesus, Son of God, came, cross, tomb, rolled away, empty, went back. That, that there is more that God wants to show us. There is more that we can prepare our hearts to, to, to see what He reveals for, what that means for us. In the, in the here and now. And so we're teaching around this very intentionally, the bad boys of Easter, taking, a, I guess, a creative angle uh, into the Easter story, which for some of you is a well-trodden story, but I don't ever want it to become an overly familiar story to where you're just like, <sighs> ever. Last week, we talked about the Jewish high priest, Caiaphas, and the role that he actually played in seeing God's will come to pass. He was trying to resist God and he resisted God. He resisted Jesus, who he actually uh, credited with doing God's work, but he didn't trust Him. And not only did he not trust Him, he was protecting his own uh, influence and power and wealth. And whilst we might say, well, it's understandable that Caiaphas would resist Jesus who he didn't trust. Yeah, but what does it mean for some of us who are known to resist Jesus who we say we do trust? And there was a big bottom line there that, that, that some of what we're trying to preserve and protect and retain, God wants us to surrender and not put ahead of Him. 
This week, we're gonna drill into another bad boy. Let me ask a question, and you don't have to uh, answer this openly, but I want you to answer this uh, under the hood. Have, have you ever tried to bargain with God? Okay, you can put your hands, some of you are like, yeah, well, whatever. Hey, have you ever tried to get God in on your thing? You know, uh, something along the lines of, hey God, uh, this is the prayer. This, hey God, if you will, fill in the blank, uh, then I will, and fill in the blank. But it's conditional. You know, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to bargain. God, if you will, I will. And, and look, sometimes this is legitimate. You know, you might have a close family member who's got a health issue and you say, you know, God, if you'll heal them, then I will, you know, whatever your level of, of response is gonna be. God, I, I'm unemployed and, 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 and financially my family's going through a challenging time. I can barely uh, put food on the table. So God, if you can get me a job, then I will, legit, legit, prayers, legit bargaining. Sometimes some of our bargaining is not so legit. God, if you would help me pass the exam that I didn't study for, then... But there's a dark side to trying to bargain with God. And the dark side is that, that if you have expectations of God that He may or may not have promised that He would meet, and he doesn't meet them, then there is a disproportionately high risk that you might walk away because of disillusionment and discouragement. God didn't do what I thought he should. And really that's at the essence of today's bad boy, a guy who is not famous, but in fact infamous, famous for doing the wrong thing. A guy named Judas of Kerios, or we just call him Judas Iscariot these days. And the bottom line, for where Judas tripped up is that Judas tried to get Jesus to do what Judas wanted Jesus to do rather than recognise that it's the other way around. And if you've, ever, <laughs> if you've ever tried to bargain with God, then I'm, I'm gonna be the one to tell you that there's a little bit of Judas in you as well. For Judas, Jesus was a means to his end. And, uh, you know, it's easy to throw Judas under the bus. But actually, when you peel back the curtain and look at all 12 of Jesus' closest followers, truth is that all of them had a little bit of a motive for following Jesus to see what was in it for them. In fact, uh, Matthew records a time where Jesus was in motion with his crew and a rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure you have kept all the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, yep, yep, I've done that, which he wouldn't have. Uh, I've done all that. Uh, anything else? And Jesus says, yeah, for you, buddy, because Jesus is sometimes just trying to remove the road furniture, the things that get in the way of us and him. And he says to this rich young ruler, yeah, for you, buddy, you need to give, give away everything you have. And Matthew recorded that this rich young ruler spun 180 and walked off and said, it's not gonna happen. Interestingly, Jesus didn't chase him down either, by the way. Jesus didn't have a follow-up program. He has a follow me program. Still up to you. I'll come back to that. And so <laughs> Peter, one of Jesus' 
12, the most outspoken, said what probably the other 11 were thinking anyway. It's kind of what he did. And uh, he said to Jesus, well, 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 how can anybody be saved? How can anybody re- receive eternal life? And Jesus said, well, listen, the reality is that people who have a lot of stuff have a lot to lose. And because they have a lot of stuff and often the stuff has them, they don't wanna give it up. And so it's a barrier and it's a barrier some of them are never gonna get past. And Peter said, well, well uh, mm, uh, we've left everything to follow you. <laughs> it's like pants down moment. What then will there be for us. This following you, Jesus shtick, what's in it for us? We want to know. Maybe know now rather than continue because we might not want to continue. Now, let me slice and dice a couple of things. Uh, the Bible is broken up into two kind of big sections. One's called the Old Testament. One's called the New Testament. The Old Testament is all the stuff that was written, recorded before Jesus came to earth. And then the New Testament is all the stuff that was written and recorded after Jesus came to earth. So Old Testament and New Testament. And one of the prevailing threads through the Old Testament is that one day God would send a Saviour to the world. And the Jewish people for for thousands of years were hanging on that promise that one day God would send a Saviour because the Jewish people had had a history of of being repressed and being uh, taken into slavery, being held against their will. Now they were finally back in Jerusalem. Now they finally were back in the land that that God had promised them, uh, global God HQ. Problem was the Romans had come to town and taken over, had actually uh, invaded Jerusalem. And while the Jews were still allowed to live there, it was actually the Romans that were in charge. And so the Jewish people had, had, had a picture of this Saviour as being someone who God was gonna send to overthrow the Romans, a military leader and a political leader and, and somebody that was going to by force kick the Romans out and so that the Jewish people in Jerusalem could return to the glory days of Israel, the days of, of Solomon and David. And, and Judas, as so many of his Jewish compatriots did, he held on to this expectation of the Saviour that was gonna be a political and military leader. Judas being one of Jesus' earliest followers also had a front row seat to the fact that Jesus started fulfilling some of what the Old Testament said that the Saviour was gonna do. He started actually ticking off some of the checklists. Long checklist, ticking, Hmm, Jesus, he did that. Yep, yep, boom, boom. Problem was he didn't tick all the boxes. For one thing, he didn't hate the Romans. You have to hate them. You've come to throw them out. Problem was another box he didn't check is is he was in an ongoing gunfight with the Jewish leaders. He was meant to to, to be their their leader and 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 align them as a force together to throw out the Romans and 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 he and he kept throwing shade on them. That box didn't get checked. And then Judas 
interestingly, was appointed the treasurer of, of Jesus' ministry fund, Jesus didn't build a war chest. If you're gonna overthrow the Roman Republic, the most powerful Republic in the known world and in, in known history, you need a significant war chest. And the problem is that Jesus kept on giving stuff away. So Judas slowly began to lose patience in this so-called saviour that he'd given up everything to follow. Now, if you pop open your Elevate app, if you've got that, tap the Bible tile. I'm gonna drill into where Matthew records some of the incidents around Judas. Uh, the final straw whilst Judas was losing patience was actually an extraordinary act of generosity that pushed him right over the edge. And it took place in a, in a, in a suburb of Jerusalem called Bethany. And, and, that, and Bethany, Bethany was only about a kilometre and a half, two kilometres from Jerusalem. It's important that you, you understand and, and remember that. So Matthew records this time in history. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head and was reclining at the table. Very expensive perfume. How expensive, I hear you ask? About one year's wages expensive. Now, the Australian Bureau of Statistics records that currently the average income in Australia per person, not per household, per person, average is $80,000. So let's just use that as a modern day example of, of this woman came to Jesus with one jar of perfume priced at $80,000 and poured it all on Jesus as He was reclining at the table. Well, Matthew said, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant, which that word can be translated a little bit more strongly. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Well, aware of this, because he's aware of everything, because it's Jesus. Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you'll not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Well, there's a few problems here. The first problem is not evident in Matthew's account of this, but John, who was there, one of Jesus' 12, he was there at the home around the table when this happened, he recorded that it wasn't uh, the disciples being indignant, that it actually was Judas who got in their ear and started rousing them up against what this woman had just done, stirring. John called him out in his account of this story that, 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 that Judas wasn't concerned about the money being given to the poor. Judas thought this is a great opportunity to start lining the war chest. We're taking Rome down, baby. That 80 grand gonna come in real handy to buy some bullets and some hand grenades. John, in fact, in his account, he, he said, Judas, the thief, dot, dot, dot. Because John was aware that as the treasurer, Judas had been skimming out of, the, out of the kitty. And so this 80 grand might've ended up as only 72 grand as Judas took his first 
Then there's another problem, burial. Saviors don't die. (laughs) We've been waiting for centuries for you, pal. We we thought we'd found you, you're the one. And now you're saying that that, that you're gonna die. Whoa, whoa. And if you die, remember, we've gone all in with you, buddy. What's gonna happen to us? Well, little spoiler, when Jesus didn't do what they thought he was meant to do and did die, they all walked away. And that's the risk, the dark side of you and I bartering with God when he doesn't do what we thought he was gonna do. The risk is so much higher of us walking away. Matthew said, then, then, after this happened, then, the very next thing, after this happened, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? They were sitting around the table Jesus and his closest 12. (laughs) Do you know at that point before this happened, Judas's biggest challenge was how do I get out of this house of Simon the leper to then go and do this? Just like, "Mm, what am I gonna think of? What? mm, mm, I need to use the bathroom. There's one just there. Damn it. Uh, uh, So he wanted to get out. He needed to get two kilometers away to Beth, to Jerusalem from Bethany to where the Jewish leaders were. He needed an excuse to get out and and, and he left. And don't miss this, Jesus, who knows everything, didn't try to stop him. And that terrifies me. It terrifies me for me, because I know me. And it terrifies me for you because you know you. Because you, some of you may have been in seasons of your life where you've been so consumed with following your own plans and your own will and your own agenda, but you've, but you've just relied on the fact that, that, that Jesus is gonna shot block you if you are about to do something stupid. And he doesn't. God... <laughs> God will not get in the way of us having our way. And that terrifies me. It's this little thing called responsibility. It's this little thing called freedom that God values our freedom so much that he actually doesn't try to constrain it. You can choose whatever you want. I ain't even gonna stop you if that's what you wanna do. If having your way is more important than living life my way, So last week we talked about the fact that Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, had actually been trying, he'd been plotting to try and remove Jesus from the public sphere because Jesus' popularity had grown so great that he was a threat to the rulers, the Jewish rulers of the time. The crowds were the problem. But actually the crowds weren't just 
what caused the problem, the crowds were also a problem to how they capture him. But here came Judas, an insider. Because if they try to sweep in while Jesus is feeding the 5,000, sweep in while He's healing somebody from leprosy, sweep in while He's, he's casting demons out of people, sweep in while He's getting paralysed people off the mat and walking again. If they try to sweep in then, the crowds would have turned against them. But here's, a, here's an insider and He's offering to deliver Jesus to us. We don't have to sweep in at all. He's gonna be handed to us by an insider that we can work with. So they counted out for Judas 30 pieces of silver. Judas had had meals with Jesus. Judas had shared homes, quite possibly sleeping in the same quarters as Jesus. Judas had seen the miracles of Jesus. When Jesus took some fish and some loaves, you know what? Jesus didn't give them out. He handed them to His 12. Judas carried some of the fish and some of the loaves that Jesus multiplied to feed thousands of people. He didn't just see the miracles. He was actually part of some of the miracles. And yet here He is in a moment in history, handing Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. How much is 30 pieces of silver? That was the average price of a slave in that time. And yeah, I get it. You might be indignant thinking, well, how in the world could Judas have done that? Traded his relationship with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But let me ask you the question, have you ever seen something in the moment that seems so attractive, so appealing, so compelling that in that moment, you put it ahead of Jesus? Yeah, because there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. Have you ever been in a season of your life where you put something else more important than Jesus, where your priorities put something else ahead of the queue than Jesus? Because if you, if you did, then this shouldn't surprise you. In that moment or in that season, we trade in intimacy with Jesus by putting something else in the way. And so then Matthew recorded that from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Now, from there, the calendar, the Jewish calendar was such that, that they were coming up to Passover and they were gonna have a meal together, Passover meal together, Jesus and His, uh, his uh, 12 followers. Uh, <laughs> we call it the Last Supper, but only Jesus knew that that was what it was gonna be. To everyone else, it was just this annual Passover meal. After the meal that Judas was at, after the meal that Judas was at, where Jesus had broken bread and said, I'm about to die. And this bread is symbolic of my body being broken for you. And, and when from now on, when you gather together and you take part in this kind of meal, I want you to remember the sacrifice I made for you. J Judas was at that meal. 
get that. Judas was at that meal. You know, when we share corporate communion and we're gonna do that here on Good Friday, do you know when we share that, everyone's invited? You don't have to be a member. You don't have to bring your qualifications. You don't have to demonstrate some special superpower. Judas was at the Last Supper and Jesus gave him the bread because here's the thing, the very act of Jesus dying was for everyone. In fact, he said, I didn't, just, I didn't come for the, for, the, for the people that are well, I came for the people that are sick because the well don't need to be healed. So if you think you've already got it all together, I didn't come for you. You figured it out, carry on. I came for the sick, I came for the broken. I came for the people that realised that they, not, not, not Jerusalem and the Jewish people collectively, but they need a saviour. They need restoration with God. Judas was at the Last Supper, not as an observer, but at the table. And after the meal, Jesus said to the boys, we're gonna go to the Mount of Olives and we're gonna retreat to a garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And Judas thought to himself, bingo, away from the crowds. Now's the time. Problem was, they hadn't left the meal. Once again, Judas was stuck in the room, (laughs) thinking of a good excuse where he could remove himself and go and let the Jewish rulers know that Jesus was gonna be at the garden. And John says that after Jesus had said this, this is my bread, this is my body, this is my blood. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So Jesus turned to Judas and told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. <laughs> I can just imagine Judas in that moment thinking to himself, how in the world did I ever think I was gonna get away with this without him knowing? I mean, he knows everything. Not only did Jesus not stop him because Jesus doesn't get in the way of us having our way, he actually gave him a green light, which wouldn't have made sense to any of them. Even if they knew what Judas was about to do, which they didn't, but Judas did, but Jesus didn't not only stop him, but Jesus actually gave him a green light, do what you're gonna do and and do it quickly. No one under the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. When he was gone, Jesus said, now, (laughs) now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. In other words, everything is going exactly according to my Father's plan. I came here to die in your place. And Judas thinks he's stopping the will of God. He's actually fulfilling the will of God. 
They went in the garden, they took Jesus to the Jewish leaders and early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. See, under the Jewish law, and I taught this last week, under the Jewish law, they couldn't have Jesus executed. There was no precedent, there was no allowance for that. But under the Roman law, they could have Jesus executed. And in fact, they convinced the Romans that because Jesus was going around calling himself king, which was, the, which was kinda like, that's what the Caesar of Rome thought he was, that, that he was guilty of sedition. And so the Jewish leaders bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to the Roman governor named Pilate. It's not clear, but some heavyweights believe that Judas wasn't trying to get Jesus executed. He was just looking for a new saviour. But now, Judas is watching Jesus receive his death sentence. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned to death, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Judas gained a 30 pieces of silver world, but traded in his soul. What was of extraordinary value one minute had no value the next. What was worth putting ahead of Jesus in one setting was worth less the next. What was the most appealing thing in the moment caused enormous regret the next. And and some of you, and this is some of what God wants to bring to the surface for you this morning, some of your greatest regrets in your life are things that looked so appealing in the moment, so shiny, so up, uh, full of opportunity, and you seize them for your own means and God didn't stop you getting your way, but you regret now looking back on that trading, that intimacy that you had with Jesus for this thing that you now look back and is worthless. And I have this fantasy. It's kind of a fantasy. It's also a bit terrifying. As a church leader, I have a, I have a fantasy occasionally that I, could, that I could do this. That on a Sunday, that I could line all of you up in a line facing me, facing me. And I could just go down the line one at a time and I could tell you things and give you instructions and put some fences around some stuff. I wish, some, I just sometimes fantasise about that. Listen, you, Bill, stop doing stupid things. Listen, Mary, keep your pants on. Listen, Brian, stop being so flippant materialistic and understand that God owns everything. You're just the manager and stop spending money you don't have. Stop trying to impress people you don't like. Start putting Him first with your money. Brian, got it? I fantasise about that periodically. (laughs) 
Alice, you come here every Sunday and you sit down the front and you say, God, God, I want you to, I want you to fix this addiction. It's been 20 years now. And God, God, if you, you Alice, you're not real. You're not genuine. It's just a show. If you want God to fix it, then, then give it up. Give up give up your will and put His will first. And yet it's not gonna be easy, but He'll empower you and He'll help you get you through it. Alice, you got it. I fantasise about that just occasionally. Not all the time. It would be exhausting. But, I, but occasionally, because guys, because... <laughs> I, I don't lead a church because I, 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 I can't get employment at Bunnings. It, it, a lot of people here can get employment at Bunnings and we love that. I, don't, I lead a church because, because I have a strong calling and a clarity around the calling that God wants to use me in my role, not just me, but me in my role to help you make, make, make choices that put God's will ahead of yours. That, that says not my will, but yours be done. And so, okay, you know, in the short term, <laughs> I could just berate you every Sunday, line you up, tell you all the things to stop doing, tell you all the things to start doing. Uh, it, it doesn't work. It's not a long-term strategy. I, I surrender that fantasy every time it comes up. Well, not straight away. It's kind of, <laughs> names, faces, sins, yeah. <laughs> So I don't do it. But I pray about it and I preach about it and we're trying to build leaders who are gonna help encourage you to say to God, not my will but yours be done. But it's not what happened with Judas until for him it was too late and he said, I've sinned. I betrayed innocent blood. And they said to him, what's this to us? It's your responsibility. God will not get in the way of you having your way. And when you have your way and there's consequences and those consequences aren't God's best for you, you understand that's still now ultimately your responsibility. Not the end of the story though. It was for Judas, he threw the money into the temple and left and he went away and hung himself. When we barter with God rather than surrender, we're responsible for the outcome. You think, well, if that's true, why would any of us ever barter with God? Why would any of us try to put our way ahead of God's way if when we screw up, which we invariably will, when we achieve outcomes that are less than God's best, which we invariably will, we're left responsible for the outcome. Not, 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 <laughs> not just have to live with the outcomes, but actually, what, it, well, what do you want me to do about it? but there's a better way. And the reason we do that, by the way, the reason we barter rather than surrender is we think that, that, that us being in control is the better option. We, we like familiarity. We, we like to do things our way. We like to achieve sort of outcomes that we can mold. And so often we barter rather than surrender. Well, that's okay if you wanna not only experience the outcomes, but be left with the responsibility for the outcomes. But when we surrender, God takes responsibility for the outcomes. And so my encouragement to you, because I'm not gonna do this, line you up and tell you all the things that you should and shouldn't be doing one-on-one. It's tempting, I won't. What is it that you have surrendered yet in this preparation to this Easter season? What is it that you haven't 
surrendered yet and you're carrying the responsibility for the outcomes that are less than God's best. And I want you to think about that. And no, I'm not gonna get you to come down the front and confess, although confession's good. And by the way, on Good Friday, we're gonna actually do that. Not in the priestly way, there won't be a box in the corner and I'm not gonna be sitting there in a dress, but we're gonna have the opportunity where you can bring things to God. But in the preparation and the lead up to that, right here, right now, is there anything that you've yet to surrender to God? You've been bartering, God, I'm gonna do my career my way. How about you bless it? I'm gonna do my marriage my way. It's not working, but how about you try to get on board? I'm gonna gonna prioritise my time. I'm not gonna join a team, serve you. Screw that, too busy. Whoa, really? Money, man, come on, come on, come on. I work for it, I earned it, it's mine. Okay, all right, how's that going for you? Is there any area you've yet to surrender? I just want you to think about that. I'm gonna pray for you. In a moment, before I do, I'm gonna give those of you an opportunity who actually, the first and most important thing you need to surrender is your life to Jesus, to actually decide to follow Him. We're gonna give you that opportunity right now. Some of you may not have made that decision yet. And if you haven't, now is the perfect opportunity to do that. And what I want you to do, if you've never said yes to following Jesus, to surrendering your life to Him, I want you to put your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down and then I'll pray for you. From here, I'll just pray for you right up where I'm standing. The rest of you be thinking about what area or areas, and I'll come back and wheel around and pray for you. But before I do that, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, said, yes, I wanna follow you, how about you put your hand up now and then you can put it down and I'll pray for you. Okay, leading up to Easter is the perfect opportunity to pop the hood and be honest. Jesus knows anyway, right? Don't think that just because the hood's down that he doesn't know, but he's not trying to find out what you haven't surrendered so that you'll end up the same fate as Judas. He's wanting to get you to turn it over to him so that he can get out in front of that thing. Whatever it is, let me pray for you. God, this morning we come to you with an area or areas of our life that we've been reminded through this incredible story that we need to surrender to you, that we need to stop bartering and trying to get you on our thing, but hand everything over to you. And so God, I pray for those areas right now that people here are exposing to you that you already knew about when they walked in here anyway, but exposing to be handed over to you to not be in front of you. That you will do the sort of open heart surgery that only you can do, that when that hood is popped, that you'll get in and fix some stuff, sort some stuff, rearrange some stuff.
and that we would commit with the stuff you rearrange to keep it in the order that you would want. Not our will, but yours be done. In Jesus' name.